Hi, I'm Stuart McLeod, CEO and co-founder of Carbon. Welcome to the Accounting Leaders Podcast, the show where I go behind the scenes with the world's top accounting leaders. Today, I'm joined by Zach Gordon, a CPA with over 14 years of professional experience across multiple industries and functions. Zach is the VP of Accounting for a portfolio of propeller clients in various sectors, including crypto, cannabis, fintech, and media. Prior to Propeller, Zach was the co-leader of the cannabis and crypto practices at two public accounting firms and the controller, auditor, and CFO for several startups. It's my pleasure to welcome to the Accounting Leaders podcast, Zach Gordon. Zach Gordon, welcome to the Accounting Leaders podcast. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Happy to be here. Now, first up, we uh, we tried to do this last week and you're at a crypto conference. So tell me all about the conference. Tell me about uh, how involved you are and um, your theories on, on crypto as it stands today. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, I hope we have the next eight hours. Go for it. Go for it. We've got plenty of time. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, no, the conference is a lot of fun. So it was actually put together by one of our clients, Masari. And they have an incredible network. And what they've done is they've really aggregated, you know, all the heavy hitters in the space. So I've been floating around crypto since probably about 2016. I got introduced. I was in a WeWork. Uh, so I was a co-founder in a tech company. We were in a WeWork. And long story short, a bunch of the devs and a bunch of the people around there were getting into this whole uh, Bitcoin thing, which was uh, quite the topic. And you know, it's one of those things that there's just there's very few CPAs, very few professionals at all, you know, including lawyers, finance people, et cetera, that were getting into it. So I thought it'd be a good idea to get uh, get a little more involved. And I've been working in this space ever since. Okay. So there's a lot to unpack there. What what was what was the what was the company that you founded and and let's start with that bit. Uh, of course, of course. Yeah. So just to tell the story a little bit, started from public accounting about 15 years ago now. Uh, did the whole usual path where you get to the point where you can either stick around forever or see what's on the other side of the table. So I wound up jumping. <laughs> the grass and, is always greener, is it? Oh, man, boy, is it. So, you know, you get teased with no busy season, yeah. actual time off, the, the whole work-life balance thing, which is a, a funny topic in its own right. But wound up going to private equity. And yeah, that was uh, not quite the work-life balance that one would expect. Oh, it, well, you, you tell me you didn't expect work-life balance in private equity. You, 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 you don't strike me as that naive. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so I'm faking it that well. Good. <laughs> I, I thought at least there would be, uh, you know, being able to leave before nine o'clock at night every day. Mm. And that just uh, wasn't the case. And again, you, you're right. You sort of expect that going in. But uh, anyway, so just sort of coincidentally during that time, uh, a few friends and I started working on a mobile app together. And you know, start off just you know a little project, a little bit of fun. Let's see if we can do something here. And what we had worked on was designing a backend algorithm to match fitness seekers with fitness service providers. Right. So let's just say you wanted to do a, a yoga session uh, at, at the gym on 54th and Madison tomorrow at 9 a.m. Let, let's just yep. say. So based on different variables, so some of them biometric, some of them geographical, some of them you know, economics. You had to have a payment processor, all that in there. And then the certifications and whatnot on the the professional side, uh, it would make the match. You'd be able to book through the app, and it was really one of the first on the market that could actually do that. I mean, everybody and their mother can do that now, but this was you know 2014 into 2015, and just the technology was not readily available at that point. I mean, we had a whole team of developers working on it, and just uh, it was a pretty big endeavor at the time. 
And yeah, so long story short, we were able to scale that up. We were able to figure out that that sort of direct-to-consumer business is break-even at best. So you know, needed to pivot to some um, enterprise partners, and we were able to expand it out from there. And what was the difficulty with the direct-to-consumer model? Well, it's really expensive to make sure that people <laughs> actually have the certifications that they say they have. It's really expensive to do direct-to-consumer marketing. So the whole pay-per-click thing is really, really expensive. So if you're running Facebook ads, Google ads, uh, if you're trying to get any sort of placement in, whether Apple or iOS's app stores, it's or Apple or, or uh, Google, excuse me, it's uh, it's expensive, long story short. And realistically, if you actually crunch the numbers, if you go full cost accounting on this thing, it's <laughs> it's problematic. Yeah. And so the pivot up into enterprise is sort of like, a, you know, you use our algorithm and pay for it if you already have a distribution and and go to market motion, right? And so how did that exactly. go? Exactly. Why why pay for, for marketing yourself? Let someone else do it. And there's no pride in this, you know. I would be happy. <laughs> yeah, to be we the, don't need we don't need our brand all, all over no. it. <laughs> There's no ego here. If uh, one of the big uh, gym players or whomever wants to, yep. to spend the money to get the distribution and take all the credit, we're happy to be the uh, the Intel, the powered by. Yeah. So that model actually worked pretty well. And the whole reason we're even talking about this is that's how we got into the WeWork. And when we were in the WeWork, then uh, you know, just coincidentally, in the office next to mine was a retired Wall Street professional who was deploying capital into not only crypto but cannabis as well oh well it's two of the hardest the, the, the hardest industries to get banked in <laughs> oh yes and, oh boy is that another conversation <laughs> did he have a safe full of cash in his office <laughs> i feel like i don't want to answer that <laughs> don't worry we, we go everywhere in this podcast so we've talked about ca- you know ca- cash in gun safes so they had to take their guns out so they could fit all their cash because their dispensary was making so much money so there you go that's oh, what i'm picturing in, in this we were oh there we go cool oh, man so not to go too far down this rabbit hole, but very early on, I actually dealt with a client based out of California. Of course. Of course, because where where all these good stories happen. <laughs> they literally, they bought a bank and they bought the bank, they the, bought- the, the, the physical location. Right. Oh, okay. Yeah. And they bought it for the safe. Yeah. So they had 30 something million dollars in cash in the vault. Yep. And I had to go in and do some sort of testing to see if there was actually that much cash in there. How'd your cash counting go? <laughs> Did oh, you have a machine? <laughs> that was uh, that was an adventure. Let's put it that, that way. That cash would have stunk. Too. <laughs> you, you don't want to know. Let, let's put it. You you're as high as fuck just counting their money. <laughs> oh, man, that, that's a good way to put it. It, it. it just absorbed us. Not good lord, what the story that uh, that cash could have told. I bet. I bet. Were you a bit nervous going into the safe? <laughs> no, uh, going in, it, it makes her one heck of a story, but yeah, more nervous about uh, actually coming up with some sort of report. Like, who, <laughs> how, how do you get comfortable with this? Good Lord. I don't know. Um, video of you counting it or so? I don't know. Like, did, did you well, have one funny, of those... That's actually one of the procedures now. But Is it? I mean, let, let's just say audit guidelines weren't what they were now. So we sort of had to make it up, you know, use some calculus to get comfortable with it. But man, what a fun industry. <laughs> so sorry, I've got you distracted. So Wall Street guy with a gun safe full of cash in his, in his WeWork Allegedly. Office. Allegedly. <laughs> so he was deploying capital for himself, for, for yep. some other individuals, uh, family offices and such. And it's one of those things where he had the financial side covered. But in order to do proper due diligence, you know, he did want that CPA's perspective on this thing. So... At that point, you know, like I said, there, there's very little guidance. There was very little roadmap. 
So we had to come up with some real procedures to actually figure this thing out. And especially on the cannabis side. So we were called the AICPA, called the New York State Society of CPAs, uh, <laughs> local politicians, like and anyone we could think of just, you know, you have a license to protect. Yeah. You're touching something potentially that's, that is federally illegal. So I would love to not get any felonies or, uh, you know, yeah, yes, have, have a record. Yeah. Little things like that. Just, oh, you fucking picky. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, call me old fashioned that way. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> These accountants and their and their willing w- 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 wish to stay out of jail. I don't know. If I... Weird, right? It's a stereotype. It's <laughs> all the time. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Not conservative at all. <laughs> <laughs> no, weird. <laughs> and yeah, so long story short, I founded the the cannabis committee for the New York State Society of CPAs. So it was the first time that we were able to put together a committee like that that had CPAs, lawyers, finance people, business owners, and operators, etc. Just because there wasn't anything like that. Hmm. And now pretty much every state has one now, but hmm. it was a really, really unique time to get all these thought leaders together. Hmm. And, and that's how we sort of started the process there. And I, I sit on the AICPA committee now, and I also sit on the digital assets committee. So, you know, really running the line between digital assets, you know, crypto and, and cannabis. Fuck, does the IRS just ring you like daily? <laughs> Can we go up? <laughs> I, I've been on one or two calls, you know, there's, yeah, yeah. There's a couple of things going on there, but yeah, it's one of those things. You, you have two industries that are very real. They have a ton of economic firepower. Everyone wants yeah. to know about it, but and someone's got to figure out the right way to, to handle this thing. And what's your view? So, so when, whenever we talk cannabis and accounting, what comes up is, and excuse my, you know, ignorant de- definitions or ability to describe the issue, but my understanding is the issue that your business expenses aren't deductible in the cannabis industry federally, and therefore... You're, you're at a disadvantage to nearly every other in- recognized industry going around. Is that still the case? That's 100% correct. And you get into a few issues there. One, the effective tax rates are through the roof. Yeah. Half of our job is really doing all these tax calculations on the fly to make sure there's simply enough cash to pay for, mm. for the tax. I mean, it, it's yeah. a big problem. The other part is coming up with a good cost of goods sold methodology. Yeah. So you can get some people that are, hold on to your hat, but a little cowboy with this. They can be a little aggressive in uh, what they want to write down. Yeah. And so coming up with something that's reasonable, supportable, but you know, not completely unfair to the, the owners or operators. Because mm. at the end of the day, you know, it, it's a really tough position to be in. Is there any line of sight to you know the, a, a legitimate tax deduction for your business expenses in the cannabis industry, do you think? The second that we can convince the federal government that they will make a dollar more from a fully legal and operating market than not. It's pure economics at this point. You know, there's a few politicians that still, I think, believe in the the moral issues that's been you know that have been brought up for a long time. The but, ones that have all been caught at the hookers smoking smoking dope. <laughs> of course, yeah. So that, that changes the conversation a little bit. But yeah, not to beat around a lot of things, but it's it's economics, and then there's a social equity aspect to it as well hmm. that sort of can push um, in, in the right direction here. Yeah, well, the the illegal industry will just continue to thrive until this can be. Well, that's what happened in California. They start to overregulate, they overtaxed, mm. and the illicit market's never been stronger. Yeah. So. Yeah, hang on, just one sec. I just got to make my my dealer. <laughs> <laughs> then, how does this relate to your experience with crypto? Then, is there is there an overlap in these industries? Well, anytime I've seen crypto and cannabis overlap from an offering standpoint, it's a red flag. Every single time, because you're talking about <laughs> a pretty easy way to launder a whole bunch of money, and you're talking about an industry that that lives on that. Uh, two of them, really. 
So <laughs> one needs the other. Good Lord. <laughs> but if we're talking about inventory management, if we're talking about actual cybersecurity, things like that, yeah, there have been some really, really interesting overlaps. Uh, if we're talking about from a compliance perspective, man, you're talking about two highly regulated industries that mm. have a lot of gaps and a yeah. lot of market variances and a, two really popular topics. Mm. I, I never have to worry about something to talk about at a party or anything like that because 50-50, <laughs> someone's, uh, someone's going to come knocking. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm one, of one, one, of the, one of the two. Speaking about tax and regulatory aspects of cannabis, I mean, the, the biggest issue in the take-up of crypto, of course, is the, the treatment of every transaction as a capital transaction, not not a cat or what's the alternative, like cash transaction, right? So is there any light at the end of the tunnel for that? Well, even worse, to keep compliance with US GAAP, they're technically intangible assets unless they're held as inventory, unless you're going to, you know, your business is to sell NFTs or whatever the case. So that's been a really, really tricky area. And honestly, that's where I spend a lot of my time from a client-facing perspective is just trying to help owners and operators, holders of these assets to understand that, all right, the numbers you see on the balance sheet are not reality. No, your wallet's going to say one thing, mm. the balance sheet's going to say something completely different. Yeah. So the issue being that you, you have the date that you, you buy it, that's, that's the number we're putting on the balance sheet. Yeah. And then you have to go through the whole impairment testing thing and the number can go down, but it can't go up. And that's just, it's super confusing for people. Uh, it, it's not exactly walk in the park for us either. So one solution that's unique that my team put together was actually a statement of digital assets. So think of it as a, a fourth financial statement. And to oversimplify a little bit, it's basically a reconciliation from your actual holdings at market level, you know, whatever your wallets say, you know, what are accepted numbers that we would feel comfortable looking at and translating that to what's on the balance sheet. And then come up with like a small little narrative of this is what happened, this is why, et cetera. And that's how we really helped to bridge the gap. But to answer your question from a regulatory perspective, I don't have a ton of confidence that I can tell you with a lot of certainty it won't be this year. Yeah, <laughs> if we're running out of time. Oh yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> it's be lucky to be this decade, right? I mean, there's there's no there's no groundswell around this. And yeah, they, right. a lot of politicians outright have said that it's not on the agenda for the rest of this year. So that pushes it hopefully to early next year. At if I were looking at this glass half full, but I I don't even think that's realistic either. Have you had experience in some of the countries that are sort of more embracing, like well, um, El Salvador? It's accepted, and, and yeah, you know, we, we've done some work down there. Germany is actually the most friendly market in the EU, and we've we've had some work there. Believe it or not, we've had some work in Israel as well, but it's actually one of the the less friendly uh, countries out there, mm. which is a little counterintuitive because they can Israel on the whole can typically be a bit more friendly on that front. So that that's been a little tough, and we've had a, a few groups come out of Australia actually, and that's been. Very interesting. Mm, careful of those Aussies. <laughs> Never know what you're going to get. Oh, man. <laughs> They're drunk. A lot of the funding or private funding of the invasion in from Russia and the Ukraine, mm -hmm. the, as crypto has boomed in the Ukraine because of its ability to quickly move uh, move money around and pay for the, the legal and illegal things that they need in order to defend themselves, right? <laughs> and it's one of those things that the blockchain is is instantly auditable, but you need to understand, well, the standards, there needs to be a standard set. And we just, we haven't gotten there yet. So it's one of those yeah. ironic things that you can move currency instantaneously with mm. very futile, you know, if, if no controls whatsoever, but it might be the most auditable, the most readily readable of any sort of 
line of currency, mm. but you have to be able to read it. Yeah. You need the endpoints. Yeah. Everything in between is easy. <laughs> and so you were getting experience in these two industries. You're in uh, New York at the center of some of it, at least. So how did propeller industries come about after or during this period? I uh, was working at a top 50 CPA firm, helping to lead the the crypto and cannabis practices there as well as yeah, throwing my two cents into a few other places as well. Don't want to be bored. <laughs> and uh, just by chance, you know, uh, through LinkedIn, someone from there reached out. And the interesting about Propeller, while they may be technically we're a consulting firm, but filled with the uh, CPA, CFAs, you know, et cetera. And it's actually run more like a, a tech company than a professional services firm, which I thought was really novel. And I hope it uh, it highlights some trends that the the greater accounting industry can pick up on later on. There's certainly more specialization. So the experience I had in, in public accounting, you know, if you're a you know, senior manager, director, principal, partner, you're handling client relations, you're reviewing work papers, you're putting together product, you're you're doing everything. And there's very little room to, well, to breathe, frankly. And you're worried about the billable hour, you're there's all sorts of things to to worry about. There's all sorts of things in your queue. And what I like that Propeller's done is they've taken a lot of that away. So there's specialized biz dev people, there's specialized billing people, there's specialized admins. And as corny as it sounds, you focus on the, the client. I thought that was really interesting, not to mention the fact that they were amongst the first movers in the crypto space. And that that spoke uh, pretty well to me as, you know, on top of everything else. So they, they made you an offer that you couldn't refuse? <laughs> yeah, that's a good way to put it. Not as threatening as that, but uh, no, it, it was a great offer. It was a unique opportunity. And yeah, I mean, I, I've never been more happy about a decision. Yeah, well, when you, you get to work on very interesting things every day, right? Never a dull moment. <laughs> <laughs> and honestly, with a lot of these clients, it, it's been a lot of fun. Part of our job is to help guide them to the right operational decisions and I have to say for uh, a bunch of really, really smart people, that's usually pretty difficult, but <laughs> it hasn't been that bad. Yeah. Well, and tell us about, you know, the, so Propeller Industries have clients that, that are well-known, Away, Hims, Abound, Fellow, Casper, uh, Sunday, Citizen. You know, the, there's there's a who's who of, of startups and progressive companies at, uh, as clients for Propeller Industries. Tell me about some of them that you've worked with and, and uh, perhaps, perhaps a, you don't have to name names, of course, but perhaps a story where you've seen how Propeller has impacted their success and their journey. Well, the most simple way to, to measure, we're dealing with a lot of VC-backed startups and relatively young companies. You know, the sweet spot for us is really in that C to Series A or B rounds. And the most simple way to measure that is going for the next round and being successful. So we've had a couple of our clients just in the last two, three weeks it's been raise in total. I th- think we're well over hundred million. If you want to quantify that, I would say that's pretty good. And being a big part of that is uh, is pretty rewarding. But in addition there though, if we're talking about really quantifying how, you know, the sort of impact we've had and it's uh, some of it's in the form of gratitude, which is the funniest thing, like actually you know, the clients being excited to give over work and asking what more they can give over. So taking some of that stress off of startup founders, which is a big deal. And having been a former founder myself, it it, it really does make a difference. You, you're worrying about things 24 seven, there's about 7,000 things to think about. And if someone can come up with the right investor reporting or someone can figure out just, all right, we'll take care of the monthly close, we'll make sure the bills are paid, we'll make sure that the lights are on, that is a big deal. 
just within the last couple of weeks here, we've had, uh, again, we'll leave the, the name out of it, but a, a very recognizable name really hand over the keys to the kingdom. And, and that, I think, was a pretty cool moment. Just we have all these other things to worry about. You deal with this. And, you know, we'll pay the bill with a smile on our face, that sort of thing. Mm. And the team's capacity to sort of work with these clients and, and help them along their journey is fulfilling. It is. I mean, you can see substantive impact. It's not just as simple as filling out a tax return or putting together an audit financial statement, but it's it's actual impact. And I know that that's, or at least just you know my personal opinion, it, it seems like that's the evolution of the industry where accountants are tabbed as the the trusted advisor. And I know that term gets thrown around a little bit, but being able to sustainably do that, to sit in on board meetings, to be able to speak to the different KPIs that that matter to them, to roll up your sleeves a little bit, it, it's not a rewarding. It's kind of fun, honestly, to, to nerd out there for a second. And why did you get involved in accounting, Zach? You know, it's really funny. Someone asked me that yesterday. <laughs> so it, it's it's a good question. So going into to college, I went to Binghamton and got into the business school there, school of management. And I actually didn't declare as accounting until I believe was the end of my sophomore year. And that was uh it took a little <laughs> I've bit never of time heard it called like that is, is that like a, is it a ceremonial moment you declare <laughs> oh, i i mean the, the, we only had a few hundred people at the the party but right yeah. <laughs> but no it's one of those things that I, I got to see different aspects of the educational offerings let's say you know took a whole bunch of classes got a different viewpoint part of it was knowing that there'll always be a job you know you always need an accountant so that's sort of uh understand as a floor you know you, you always be employed but then in my mind, accounting's always been sort of like a puzzle. And you know, whether it's a tax return, whether it's a financial, whether it's doing a month end close, a consulting engagement, a financial model, whatever it might be, end of the day, all you're doing is putting together a puzzle. And that's always interesting to me. And it's taken you very interesting places. What's next <laughs> for you, Zach? <laughs> oh boy, is that a dangerous question? Honestly, I, I want to make sure I'm having a positive net impact on accounting as an industry. And obviously the, the greater world, but if we're you know we're just talking specifically uh, professionally speaking here, because I do think the industry is at a at an interesting precipice where CPA enrollments down last time I checked nineteen percent something like that so one out of every five CPAs are not there anymore. The average age of an accounting partner is over fifty five. I was going to say like three hundred and ten. <laughs> <laughs> it's rounding up a little bit. Yeah. Pretty close. But there's this huge gap mm. in leadership and mm. just finding the right way to modernize the industry, which is notoriously slow moving. And, you know, technology is part of that. So things like process automation will, will certainly help. But I, I do think that we, we almost need a reset. There's some mindset changes that have to happen. Uh, there's, a, I think, a stark realization that, that we all need to have that how things happen and the experiences we had growing up as professionals are really not the, the, the same patterns that we can keep pushing out there. Mm. So if I can have sp some small part in, in helping to change that, I, I would say I've uh, done a good job. How do we take the industry that is uh, traditionally very, as you point out, slow to change, slow to adopt, not just technology, but uh, embrace change management <laughs> and sex it up a bit and, and make it appealing to the younger generations? What's the key to that door? I mean, we need a rebranding. You yeah, know, yeah. <laughs> the face of, of accounting is uh, is not uh, you know the young professional coming out of school mm. into some you know hotshot new company. It's an older person who's 
you know, got the the tweed jacket with the the sleeves cut off, <laughs> you know, the the elbows cut out, and you know, working the adding machine in the the back room. Yeah, hopefully, so they've got the elbow, elbow patches at least. Exactly. <laughs> I, I do think it is a big rebranding. I, I know. So I actually I sit on the board for the New York State Society of CPAs, and one of the big things that we're pushing is helping the greater professional population understand that there's people doing some really cool stuff. So it's not just debits and credits. It's not just tax returns, but you've got people working on AI projects. You've got next generation engagements happening. You know, we're working with big tech. We're working with some really cool stuff. We're not just sitting in the back room crunching numbers. So helping to get in front of these kids in college and even um, you know trying to compete with who our real competition is, which you know is big tech. It all these other firms, startup land. Yeah. If you're a kid out of college, why go to uh, a mid-sized accounting firm or why why go through the struggle of a tax season when you can go work for Facebook or Google and mm. get stock options and have a great time and you know, you're going to work really hard, but it's just a different environment completely. It certainly is. We were doing some research here at Carbon on this recently, uh, the pop quiz for you. So in 2012, there was 1.28 million accountants and auditors employed in the United States. Uh, what do you reckon in 2021, how many accountants and auditors employed? So it was 1.2, you said? Yeah, one point, nearly 1.3. Oh, I would say hair over one. Yeah, it's, it's going backwards. And so the, the industry, as, as you say, I mean, um, I, don't, I don't know where, whose job it is, it's probably AICPA, is uh, as culpable as anybody at the moment in relation to, you know, driving that graduate. I mean, it's the graduates that aren't, aren't coming through. They're not replacing the retirees uh, faster than the retirees are going out, right? So it's it's one for one at best. And, and something I saw that was actually really novel, I forgot which of the big four it was, but they're going to start pushing a younger mandatory retirement age. I believe I read they're going to push it down to 55 from 60. Yeah, right. I mean, just to think about the queue of, of professionals waiting to become a partner. I mean, <laughs> if you're getting a more solid rotation, I mean, there's no better way to attract talent than, hey, there's actually upward mobility here and you can actually have a say. And actually- yeah, there's capacity to actually go somewhere, right? Rather than sit around for 30 years waiting for a, a nobody, you know, they're like the, those days are just long, long gone. Nobody sits around for three months, let alone 30 years to become partner in a, a, a state old boring firm. And no matter how cool the names on the clients are, whatever the case, it's just it's not going to happen anymore. No one's got the patience for that. We all have attention spans of a newt. That has been a, a degeneration, in, a, in a, a, a degradation in our generation, and, and the youngers are, are even worse. But it's, you know, given the benefit of the doubt for a sec, it's sort of like, honestly, what, you know, what is the upside? It used to be that that was like, you know, the, the, the most satisfying or satisfactory thing you could do is, is, you know, take over dad's firm and, you know, hire 12 people, not eight, right? Like, and it's just, life isn't like that anymore. People want more, people are entitled to more, particularly educated people. They want to find purpose in their work. And it's, it's, that's difficult in a big four to find purpose and meaning. They want purpose and they want time. <laughs> yeah, and flexibility. <laughs> yeah, I know work-life balance is a funny term, but at the end of the day, we frankly don't have to do tax season anymore. The whole billable hour concept is not a great way to run a business, frankly. No. And I'll get, if you want an interesting story. Please, I do want an interesting story. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll, we'll keep uh, names out of this, but I- uh, That's right. So I actually designed a pretty interesting financial model and- 
built it once. I was able to build a client for it completely, got paid out. And it was actually a profitable engagement. And then we were able to use that model as the basis for other client engagements. And so we were billing the same time. So it was a flat X amount of dollars, whatever it was. And so we got to the point where we had a system down, like we could crank these out, like it was, it was nothing. And so we, we, we built one client and it was 10,000 or whatever the, the number was. And we put like two hours worth of time. And I got yelled at by someone because, oh, why didn't you build more hours to this? Well, now we're going to have to return the money. No, I, I don't understand. Why do we do this? <laughs> I thought the whole idea was to become profitable here. So we just got 10,000 or what, you know, whatever the number was. And we build $849. <laughs> you know, that's the dream, isn't it? That we're, we're able to produce something. Produce something valuable. <laughs> Correct. Something that the client clearly wants and are happy to pay for. Yeah. And it doesn't take us any effort at all because the client's not paying for us to spend time on it. They're, they're paying us for the fact that we know how to do they're it. They're paying for the value. That's right. And we can give it to them. We can explain every intricate detail to them. Yeah. And we're there. You know, so but that's the true definition of value-based pricing. I mean, I think you know the the fixed fee and the value-based pricing arguments have sort of got lost in the in the in the ocean a little bit over the last few years. But you're right; that is an ideal arrangement. But it, it is human nature, well, particularly accountants' human nature, to to perhaps I don't know if it's guilt, is it? But it's it's sort of like it it doesn't fit the model that you know, they've grown up with. And I, and I guess right. that's, that is the resistance. That's the issue of take up of all that stuff. Right. So, well, Zach, it's been, uh, amazing catching up regarding the two industries that are probably the most hardest in accounting to take on. And you do, you do both of them. So you should be, uh, proud of your resilience and your perseverance. I really appreciate that. And I'm sure the, um, the clients and, and people associated at Propeller and, and everybody that you come in contact with is, uh, grateful for your capacity to further the industry. And, um, as always, if there's anything that we can do to uh, partner together to make that job easy, we'd be more than happy to do so. <laughs> oh, I think there'll almost certainly be a couple conversations on that front. Zach Gordon from Propeller, thank you so much for joining us on the Accounting Leaders Podcast. Right, thank you so much for having me. I'm really happy to be here. Thanks for listening to this episode. If you found this discussion interesting, fun, you'll find lots more to help you run a successful accounting firm at Carbon Magazine. There are more than a thousand free resources there, including guides, articles, templates, webinars, and more. Just head to carbonhq.com resources. I'd also love it if you could leave us a five-star review wherever you listen to this podcast. Let us know you like this session. We'll be able to keep bringing you more guests for you to learn from and get inspired by. Thanks for joining and see you in the next episode of the Accounting Leaders Podcast.